we are talking about or we're uh, having messages in the past few Sundays uh, geared towards our worship. Worship uh, towards the Lord. And uh, this, this, this idea that uh, we are uh, presenting for the year of 2023 uh, on the banner behind me here, our theme for the year, Always Abounding. And we've been talking about always abounding in worship. And in order to know how to worship, we've got to look into the Bible and see what the Bible says about worship. And that's what we've been doing the last few Sundays. We've been talking about what the Bible has to say about worship. And the last two Sundays, we've dealt with the Old Testament. And so we've taken the Old Testament of our Bible and we've looked at some Old Testament passages and we noticed what the Bible in the Old Testament says about worship. And we identified several things. Uh, we said that uh, uh, worship on the uh, first uh, Sunday that we were here together, uh, we said that uh, worship uh, involved putting away idols, putting away anything. We saw this in the Old Testament of our Bible now, putting away idols, anything that takes the place of God. So really, worship requires our obedience then, doesn't it? Because we've got to obey God. If God says it's wrong, if God says it's before Him and it is taking the place of God, we've got to put it away. So we've got to obey in order to worship God the way he'd want us to worship. So we've got to put away those idols. And I trust right now in your life, God has first place. He has preeminence, as the Bible says. And certainly we desire that as a church as well, that God would get first place. We'd put the idols away and he would have preeminence. And then we said from the Old Testament of our Bible, we noticed that worship involves not only putting away idols, but it also involves joy. Oh, we had, ought to have joy in our hearts as we worship the Lord. And I trust that if you come to the services today, you've come with joy in your heart and you're ready to worship the Lord as he gives us opportunity to hear from his word today. So it involves joy. Oh, let's not be grumpy as Christians. Oh, there's so many around us that are grumpy or so many around us that might be miserable, but let's not be miserable. Let's have some gladness. Let's have some joy in our lives as we serve the Lord. And uh, maybe perhaps seeing the circumstances that are going on all around you and you say, well, it, 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 it tries to take my joy away, but let's not let it. Let's not let it. Let's have joy and our worship should involve joy. But then we talked about how that our worship, and this went hand in hand with what we said about putting away the idols. We've also, it also involves putting Jesus number one. He's got to be first. See, number one and number three in that thought uh, several Sundays ago uh, went hand in hand. We've got to put away the idols so that Jesus can be number one. He's got to be number one, but he's only able to be number one if we put the idols away. So we said this, worship involves putting God first, meaning it involves sacrifice. We've got to put, a, put, a, put, a, put aside what maybe our desires are or what might be valuable to us and give it over to God in sacrifice and say, that's the way I worship the Lord. And in the Old Testament of our Bible, last Sunday morning, we saw from Isaiah chapter 6, as God speaks to Isaiah there, we saw the, uh, the prescription that Isaiah gives us for worship. We've got to come to God uh, confessing our sin and then allowing God to cleanse us and then be committed to doing whatever God would have us to do. It has the idea of surrender there. Worship involves surrender. We've got to surrender ourselves to the Lord and commit to do whatever he'd have us to do. And then there's a commission that we talked about last Sunday morning from Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah was told to go and tell. God has given us a commission. And we talk about how that as uh, we serve the Lord... That's certainly our way of worshiping the Lord as well through service as well. And so we talked about that last Sunday from Isaiah chapter 6. Well, now we're going to turn to the New Testament of our Bible. 
And we told you that we were going to get to the New Testament. We were going to see what the New Testament says about worship as well. And so we're going to go to one of the most familiar passages in the New Testament of our Bible when it comes to the subject of worship. And it's in John chapter number 4. And we're going to get to see what the New Testament says about worship. This is, again, John chapter 4, the most significant New Testament passage we could turn to when, it, when we deal with this subject of worship. Now, here's what this passage is going to teach us today. If you've located John chapter 4, I trust you have. We'll read a few verses from there in just a moment. This chapter, John chapter 4, is going to teach us this. Not only does God desire to be worshipped, but he desires that we worship him in a certain way. And that's what we're going to see from John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4 gives us the how-to's when it comes to worship. If we want to know how to do something. Uh, you, you may remember several months back now, uh, we had our missions conference. And uh, Brother Jeff Bush was here with us. And one of the messages he preached was about prayer. And I remember specifically listening to him when he was dealing with the subject of prayer. And Jesus' prayer for us there in John chapter 17. And he said there is a difference between somebody telling you to do something and somebody telling you how to do it. And you may remember when he was here preaching about that thought. He said, Jesus doesn't just tell us to pray. He shows us how to pray. And he used the illustration of when he was a young boy. He said, my dad would go tell me, go out in the yard and do such and such. But he said, sadly, he would fail to tell me how to do it. So he says, I'm being told to do something. I'm not told how to do it. Well, in this passage of scripture... God doesn't just desire that we worship him. We already know that. We already know that he desires for us to worship him. But he tells us in John chapter number 4 how we are to worship him. So in John chapter 4, the subject of this worship comes up in a very unique way. Because if you know anything about John chapter number 4, and we're going to get to some of the details of this chapter, the early part of this chapter in just a moment, but we're going to start in verse number 20. So if you look down in verse number 20 of John chapter 4, we're going to see how this subject of worship comes up. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is visiting a well. He's going to try to draw some water at that well. His disciples have gone away from the well. They have gone to get some food so that they could eat, and so that Jesus could eat. Because they're journeying, they're traveling. Well, Jesus goes to this place called Samaria where this well is and he meets a lady at this well. Now we're going to get back to that lady in just a, a moment. But the Bible tells us that he begins to witness to this lady. He wants to, present the he wants to present the truth of the gospel to her so that she can come to know Jesus as her Savior. And again, we'll get to that in just a moment. Well, while he is having this, this conversation with her, while he is talking to her about the subject of her soul and trying to get, to, get her to identify her need of a Savior... She changes the subject. Right in the middle of the conversation, she changes the subject from what is important for her to know and what her need is to this subject of worship. Now, if you've ever had an opportunity to lead somebody to Jesus, by the way, if you've never done that as a child of God, I trust that you'll, you'll ask God for opportunities and you'll take advantage of those opportunities because the greatest thing next to your salvation is being able to have the opportunity to lead somebody else to their salvation, how they can know for sure they're saved. But anybody who's ever had an opportunity to try to present the gospel to somebody, you know there's been some times where people probably have tried to get you on a rabbit trail, tried to get you away from the subject of eternity and their soul, and tried to get you to talk about something else. Well, that's what's happening here. And by the way, Jesus handles it well. 
Oh, he handles it well. He'd be the perfect example of really what a soul winner would be right here in John chapter number four. He handles it well, but she changes the subject and she starts talking about worship. So this is what we get into here in John chapter number four. The subject comes up when she makes a statement. Notice the statement that she makes in John chapter number 4 and verse number 20. Now you have to remember, this is a, a lady from Samaria. So she's a Samaritan lady. Jesus is a Jewish man. Obviously there's a lot of difference between Jewish individuals and Samaritans, especially in the fact that they did not get along real well. They were enemies. They despised one another. As a matter of fact, she thought it strange that Jesus was even there in Samaria that he would even be there as a Jewish person, she thought very strange because they didn't get along with one another. And the Bible says she changes the subject in verse number 20 and she says this, notice this. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. What she means by her fathers is the Samaritans. The Samaritans worshipped in this mountain and she was close enough to that mountain where she probably perhaps could have even pointed to it. As Jesus and her were having this conversation, she pointed to that mountain. Our fathers, the Samaritan people, have worshipped in this mountain. And it was said of the Samaritans that they had even built a temple to worship uh, at a place separate from where the Jewish people worshipped. Because we know the Jewish people were worshipping in the city of Jerusalem. Well, they despised the Jewish people so bad that they were worshipping in their own mountain. And they had built a temple in their own place so that they did not have to go to Jerusalem to worship with the Jewish people. Notice that's what she's talking about here. She says in verse number 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say, now she didn't specifically, when she says ye say, she didn't specifically point to Jesus and say, you are saying this. Instead she's saying the Jewish people as a whole say this. So she said ye say, or the Jewish people say, that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And so again, entirely changing the subject, she starts talking about worship. She says, our fathers, the Samaritan people, we built a temple and we worship in this mountain, but you as Jewish people, you say you ought to worship in the city of Jerusalem. Well, the Bible gives us the response of Jesus, starting in verse number 24. Or excuse me, I'm sorry, starting in verse number 21. And from verse number 21 down to verse number 24, the Bible tells us that the response that Jesus gives, gives to, to her, to this Samaritan lady, is a clear statement on how to worship God. Jesus is going to give us the how-tos of worship in his response that he gives to the Samaritan lady. As a matter of fact, let's read verse 21 down to verse number 24 for a moment. It says, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. By the way, we're going to come back to verse 22 in just a moment. We know that we worship for salvation. Or excuse me. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Remember, he's given us the how-tos. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now, verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, in those verses that I just read, from verse number 21 to verse number 24, I know that you weren't counting it as I was going through, but you find the word worship seven times. 
in Jesus' words from verse 21 to verse number 24. That's why we would say this is the most significant passage that we would find in the New Testament of our Bible on this subject of worship. Now, let's go back to verse 22 for a moment. Verse 22, Jesus says to her, Ye worship, ye know not what. Here's what Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to say the Samaritan individuals. He's not trying to... Um, point her out specifically as much as he is talking about the Samaritans as a whole. He's saying to her, ye worship, ye know not what, meaning the Samaritans, they worshiped in ignorance. Now, the reason they worshiped in ignorance is because the Samaritans, their knowledge of God was very limited. And you might ask, why was the, knowledge, why was the Samaritans' knowledge of God so limited? Because they rejected all of the Old Testament except for the books of Moses. And if you know the Old Testament well enough and the breakdown of the books of the Old Testament, you'll, notice that, you'll know that the first five books are the only books in the 39 books of the New Testament, or the Old Testament, excuse me, that are the books of the law or the books of Moses. We refer to them as the Pentateuch, the law that Moses gives. So they rejected all of the Old Testament except for those first five books that we have in their Bible, in our Bible. So their worship then was characterized by emotion and it had no biblical foundation, or it had no biblical truth. And that's what Jesus tries to teach us here in verse 23 and verse number 24. He's saying that God desires that we worship him, and he used the word truth. He wants us to worship him in truth. Well, their worship was very emotional, but their worship had no biblical foundation. It had no truth. Can I say today, by way of an illustration or by way of an example today, there are, a lot, there are a lot of people worshiping God today or at least quote-unquote worshiping God with a lot of emotion, but it doesn't mean it's true worship. They may be worshiping or they may be at least identifying what they're doing as worship because there's a lot of emotion in it, but it's really not worship the way that God desires for us to worship or it's not identified as true worship because there's no truth in it. So a lot of emotion today, but not necessarily true worship. Well, notice what the Bible says in verse 23 then. John chapter 4 and verse number 23, at the very beginning of the verse, he says these words. Now notice this. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He identifies those who he desires to worship him. He says they are the true worshipers. Now, I'll ask you a question, and by way of maybe perhaps truth or principle or illustration in your life today, would you answer this in your heart? Not out loud, but answer it in your heart. He says that there are going to be true worshipers. Now, the question by way of application for you and I today is this. Do you desire to be a true worshiper? Do you desire today to be a true worshiper? Is that a desire of your heart as a child of God? And then let's go a step further than that. And ask this question, are you a true worshiper? You know, we may desire to be a true worshiper, but yet we're not one. God says, do you desire? He says, I'm looking for true worshipers. Do you desire to be a true worshiper? And then are you a true worshiper of the Lord? Now, can I say this? Substitutes for true worship should simply not happen. It shouldn't be that we are substituting something for true worship. God doesn't want substitutes. He wants the real thing. That's why he uses the word true. 
The worshiper that is genuine. The worshiper that is real. You know, there are many today, I guess by way of an illustration or an example for us today, there are many today in churches that design their church service to be like the world. They might call it worship, but they've designed their service. By the way, on purpose they've designed it that way to have a worship service that was like the world. Or we'll say it this way, what the world is accustomed to seeing and hearing. And there are many churches that people can go in today. And certainly our purpose here at Victory Baptist is not to design our service this way. But there are many churches that people can go in today where they have purposely designed their service where it's much like the world and those that are coming in that are of the world that, by the way, many times are lost, are coming into a church service where really it should be true worship that's taking place, but instead they're seeing and hearing something that they're accustomed to seeing and hearing out in the world. That's not God's design. That's not God's plan for true worship. And so maybe they're thought in all of that was is, is that we're going to have a service that appeals more to those that are worldly so that we can draw the world in. But it shouldn't be that we're saying we're going to draw the world in by what, with what they're accustomed to seeing and hearing, but instead to draw them in with true worship so that it can point them to the Savior, the one that they do not know yet. They're lost without Christ. And so it's not about seeing and hearing what they're accustomed to seeing and hearing, but to see and hear that which God desires for them to see and hear, true worship, so that they can come to know Christ as their Savior. So much, sadly, that takes place in churches today is not true worship. Matter of fact, we would say it this way, it's far from true worship. But God gives us a wonderful pattern of what true worship should be like, and he gives it to us even in the early church. Would you hold your place there in John chapter 4 for a moment, and would you turn to Acts chapter 2 for a moment with me? Acts chapter 2, and look down with me, if you would, at verse number 47. Now, just to get us caught up to where we're at here in Acts chapter 2, this is when the day of Pentecost takes place. So remember, Jesus says to his followers before he ascends into heaven, he says, I want you to tarry in the city of Jerusalem, and the Holy Ghost is going to come, and he is going to indwell you and give you power to do the work. Well, the Bible tells us that the disciples do exactly that. They obey Jesus. They tarry there in the city of Jerusalem. And after Jesus ascends into heaven, a short time later, the Bible tells us on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down. He indwells the hearts of those that are believers and he gives them power to begin to preach the word of God. And they preach the word of God in such a powerful way that 3,000 people come to know Jesus as their Savior and they follow the Lord in that step of obedience of baptism. And they join the church. 3,000 added to the church in one day. And what a miracle on the day of Pentecost. Well, the Bible says after that, in, in the city of Jerusalem, they start to set up, they start to uh, have, have, have the early church is established. And notice how they worship the Lord. Acts chapter 2, would you look down at verse number 42? It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Those are vital things for the church today. We've got to be taught from the word of God. We've got to have fellowship. We have times when we partake of the Lord's Supper. And there's times that we pray in our church. Those are vital things for the early church. And, and, and then for our church today as well as the local church. Now look at verse 43. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to every man as every man had need. And they continued daily 
with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their bread with sing, excuse me, with gladness and singleness of heart. By the way, there's the word gladness, which reminds us that worship involves joy, right? Worship involves gladness. As the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's have joy in our hearts when we're in God's house. Let's have gladness in our hearts when we're serving the Lord. But notice what verse 47 says. Oh, you see a perfect pattern of worship here in verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What were they doing in their worship? They were praising God. There is a wonderful pattern of worship that takes place here in the early church as they are worshiping God in, in, as true worshipers. Remember, that's what God desires, true worshipers. So let's notice a couple things when we see the how-tos of worship here in our message time. Look with me if you would back to verse 23. Now we're in John chapter 4 again, verse number 23. Notice at the start of the verse, Jesus says this, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. Remember the application. Do you desire to worship God as a true worshiper? Are you a true worshiper of God? Are we here at Victory Baptist Church worshiping God in truth? Is there, is there a genuineness? Is there a realness? Is there a sincerity in our worship? Or does it become like the world and, and, and try to appeal to those things that are going on in the world around us? We certainly hope not. That's not our desire. We want to be true worshipers, don't we? And that's what God desires of us. But notice what he says at the end of verse number 23, if you would. There's a key word we're going to get here. He says, For the Father seeketh such to worship him. The Father seeketh such to worship him. Here's the key word at the end of verse number 23. Seeketh. Seeketh. Now, I want you real quickly to notice, number one, I want to give you two thoughts about this how-to to worship here today. Number one, I want you to notice what God seeks. What God seeks. Did you notice the end of verse number 23? For the Father seeketh. All right, what is God seeking? Now, in this passage of Scripture, in John chapter number 4, I think we see God seeking in this chapter in all three of the persons or the parts of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's first look at God the Son. What is God the Son seeking? Turn back with me. I told you we'd turn back here in just a moment. Turn back to John chapter 4. Or I'm excuse, excuse me. Turn to the first part of the chapter. And look with me if you would at verse number 4. <clears throat> verse number 4. What is, what is God the Son seeking? Now I'm going to give you the answer right now. And then we're going to see it. God the Son is seeking after sinners. That's who God the Son is seeking after. Seeking after sinners. And the Bible says in verse number 4 of John chapter 4, and he must needs go through Jerusalem. See, there was a purpose why Jesus wanted to go through, excuse me, I'm through, through Samaria, he says, verse 4. There was a purpose of why he wanted to go through Samaria. And here was the purpose. He was seeking to win this lady to himself. He wanted her to come to know the truth of what Jesus was going to do when he was going to die on the cross. Now, what does the Bible tell us about Jesus when it comes to him seeking after sinners? In Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, the Bible says this, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. What is the Son of God doing today? He is seeking sinners 
so that he can point them to himself. The Bible tells us in verse number six, let's go through a couple of these verses. We won't touch on everyone, but a couple of these verses. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. This lady came to the well at noontime. And there was a reason why she came at noon, because she didn't want to be seen. And the reason why she didn't want to be seen was because the people knew what kind of lady she was. If you go a little bit on in the passage, you'll find out that she was living in adultery. And because she was living in adultery, she was an outcast, and she didn't want anybody to see her. So she came at noontime when she thought she could be away from the crowd. But she didn't realize there was a divine appointment that day, and it was set for her to be able to spend some time with Jesus. Yes, nobody else was around, and even the disciples went out to find some food. But Jesus was seeking after the sinner. Jesus was seeking after a soul. There's some things that Jesus wanted her to know. Would you look down at verse number 10 for a moment? There's some things that Jesus wanted her to know. By the way, it's the same thing that we as soul winners ought to want people to know. Look at what it says in verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God. Let's pause right there. What did Jesus want her to know? He wanted her to know the gift of God. Now can I say today to you and I today, what is the gift of God? The gift of God is salvation, isn't it? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. As saved people, we have a gift to offer to people, don't we? And we ought to desire that they know this gift. We know it, and we ought to make it, we ought to work to make it known to those who don't know it. Let me say that again. We know it. We know the plan of salvation. We know the gift of salvation. We know the gift of eternal life. And we ought to do our very best to make it known to those who do not know it. Jesus desired that this Samaritan lady would know the gift of God. But he didn't just want her to know the gift of God. Look at verse number 10 again. He said, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that, that saith to thee, give me to drink. The second thing he wanted her to know is he wanted her to know who he is. I not only want you to know who the, what the gift of God is, I want you to know who I am. And so if you'd look down to verse number 17, in order to get her to see who she was and what her condition was and who he was, he addressed her sin. He brought up her sin and the subject of her sin so that she could, he, could, he could put it in view so that she could recognize her need. Look at verse number 17, if you would. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom Thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. What did Jesus do that for? He wanted to get her onto the subject of her sin so that she could recognize what her need was. Well, a little bit later after we see this little passage of Scripture on worship, if you'd go down and look at verse number 25, the Bible says this, And the woman saith unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, when he has come, he will tell us all things. What is this lady doing? This lady is ready to receive him. She's talking about the Messiah. I know that he's coming. She's ready to receive him. So what does Jesus do next? Isn't it wonderful what Jesus does? This is all, of, it, it identifies for us exactly what salvation is. She's ready to receive him, so he reveals himself to her. Look at what it says in verse number 26. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Hey, you, want, you, you recognize your need? You're ready to receive the Messiah? Well, I am the Messiah. I am the one you are speaking about. So she's ready to receive him, and then he reveals himself to her. Now, if you would go back to your salvation, that's exactly what happened for you. If you're sitting here today and you know Jesus as your Savior, and there's a time put 
your faith and trust in him, you got to a place where you recognized your need and you were ready to receive him and then he revealed himself to you. And you came to know him as your savior. You put your faith and trust in him. This is what God the Son is seeking. But what does the Bible say God the Father is seeking? Would you go back to the end of the verse number 23? It says, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Who is the Father seeking to worship him? Well, the Bible is telling us that the Father, God the Father, is seeking those that know him as their Savior to worship him. So what does that mean to you and I today? It means that God wants us to worship him. That's the easiest way to say it. God the Son wants to see sinners saved. He's seeking after sinners. We see that already in John 4. But then we see God the Father is seeking those who know him to worship him. He wants you and I, if we are a Christian, if we're saved, if we've been purchased and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, he is seeking after us to worship him. Now, can I make a statement? Only those that are redeemed can truly worship the Lord. Those that are unsaved cannot truly worship the Lord. But those that are redeemed, those that are saved, those that are justified, that know they're on their way to heaven, you say, well, why is that true? Why is it true that only the saved people can worship the Lord and unsaved people are not able to truly worship the Lord? Because this thing of worship, this theme of worship that we're talking about, this idea of worship, it is the activity or action of the spirit of those that are redeemed. It's coming from the spirit. It's an activity. It's an action coming from the spirit of those that are redeemed. So God designed us to worship him after we are saved. That's God's desire. That's what God is seeking after. That's what he wants from us. And can I say this? We're worshiping him in our church today. I hope that you've identified that already. We've prayed and asked the Lord that our worship would be sweet, that it would bring honor and glory to the Lord. But the church, I know that you know this already, but let's be reminded of it when we're talking about the how-tos of worship. The church is not the only place that we can worship. For a believer, we can worship at all times, can't we? We can get into the presence of God alone in our own hearts. We can enter into his presence and we can spend time praising God. We can worship God around the clock, can't we? We can worship God when nobody else is awake and you're at home awake and you're, you're the only one awake. Everybody else around you is asleep and you're saying, man, entering into the presence of God and just spending time praising him and bringing honor and glory for us. But can I go a step further, though, to say this about those that are Christians, those that are redeemed, those that are, that are, that are sanctified, those that are on their way to heaven, those are the only ones that can truly worship the Lord. Can I say it this way? It's impossible for us to be followers of God the way that we should be unless we are worshiping the way that God desires because he said this is something I'm seeking from you so identify that in your heart today it's impossible for you to be the follower that God wants you to be unless you're worshiping him because he said this is what I'm seeking after and if he's seeking after it and he wants it and he desires it and we are not worshiping him the right way then the Bible tells us we're not obeying one of his commandments because he is seeking this from us. And then can I say this? Then our worship will lead us to be the servant we need to be as well. We'll not only worship God, but we'll be serving God the way we, we, he desires for us to serve him as well. Our service to the Lord grows out of our worship to him. Our service begins to develop the right motive as we're worshiping him. You know, it's possible to serve God, but not with the right motive. See, he wants us to worship, excuse me, 
uh, serve him because we love him. He, he doesn't want us to serve him just because he forces us to do it or he asks us to do it. He doesn't want us to serve him just because we say there's, an, there's a reward that he promises that we're going to get someday. He certainly doesn't want us to worship him and serve him out of fear. But he wants us to worship him and serve him out of love. And as we're worshiping him the right way, it leads to a place of service in our lives. And then we are serving the Lord with the right motive because we are worshiping the Lord the right way. And all of this is because the Father is seeking us to worship him. So everything that we do for God comes from our worship of God. Would you be mindful of that today? Everything you do for God comes as a result of your worship of God. If you're worshiping God the right way, then you're going to be doing the things for God the right way. So we should get to a place as Christians where we do what we do because of what we know of the Lord and his goodness to us. Remember we sang that song, How Great Thou Art. We do what we do for the Lord because of what we know about him. And his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness in our lives. And then we also do what we do for the Lord because of all that he has done for us. So this, God the Son is seeking sinners. God the Father is seeking for us to worship him. But then I think we see God the Holy Spirit in this passage as well. Look with me if you would quickly to verse number 24. It says, God is a spirit... And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. That's capital letter S in your Bible, which means we're referring to God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what does God the Holy Spirit seek after? If God the Son is seeking after sinners, and God the Father is seeking after his own to worship him, then what is God the Holy Spirit seeking after? Well, God the Holy Spirit seeks to worship God and exalt Him. God the Holy Spirit is seeking to worship God and exalt Him because He lives within us as Christians. We would say it this way, He indwells us, right? When we came to know Jesus as our Savior, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit came to live inside of us. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit, which lives inside of us, God, who lives inside of us, is seeking our worship and is seeking for us to exalt God. And you say, well, how do you know? Come on, how do you know that's true? Well, simply this. Because the Bible tells us when we do things that are not honoring to God, it grieves His Holy Spirit. Can I say this? When we're worshiping God in spirit and in truth, that is not something that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. It's something that brings him pleasure. But opposite of that, God says, when you're living in a way that is not honoring to me, it grieves me. It grieves my Holy Spirit. Or that word grieve has the idea of it makes me sad. It makes God's Holy Spirit sad. So if God's Holy Spirit is sad when we, when we, uh, when we live in such a way where we're not honoring Christ, then he is certainly glad and rejoicing when we are worshiping God the right way and exalting God the way that he desires. Notice there's something very important in verse number 24 that I want to draw your attention to. It says this, God is a spirit and they that worship him, I'm going to stress a word here, God is a spirit and they that worship him must, must worship him. Now let me, let me say, when we use the word 
Does that sound to you like an option? That doesn't sound like something to be considered or something to kind of chew on a little bit and see if it's something God wants me to do. When we read the word must, we know that this is something that is a must. It's something that is important, a priority. We've got to make this step in order to obey the Lord. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Because he lives within us, he desires that we are worshiping the Lord the right way and exalting him and praising him and bringing honor and glory to him because otherwise it grieves him. So he says, you must, you must worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, there's several other times right around this particular passage of Scripture where the Bible gives us must. If you've read John chapter 3, you know that there's a man named Nicodemus who comes up to Jesus. And Jesus makes a statement to him. He says, ye must be born again. You remember those words, right? Ye must be born again. Well, if you go down a little bit further in John chapter 3 and verse number 14, you know you come to the passage of Scripture that says this, As Moses raised the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So not only must you be born again in order to go to heaven, but Jesus must be raised up on a cross so that we can have an opportunity to go to heaven, and we as God's people must worship God in spirit and in truth because that's what the Holy Spirit seeks of us. So let's break down verse number 24 to finish our message this morning. He no, you notice two things that the Bible tells us we have to do in order to worship God. And I'm going to go through them really quickly here. Notice he says this, God is a spirit and they that worship him, notice the two thoughts there, must worship him in spirit and in truth. Remember we told you John chapter 4 was a how-to of worship. All right, so he's given us the how-tos right here. He's told us what he seeks after. God the Son seeks after sinners. God the Father seeks his own to worship him. God the Son seeks to worship God and exalt Him. Otherwise, we're grieving Him and He lives within us. But then how does He desire for us to worship? He says, in spirit and in truth. Now, I'm going to give you a couple Bible verses, and I'm not going to take the time to look them up, but I want you, perhaps, if you have a pen, maybe you're writing some things down, to write these Bible verses down in just a moment so that you can look these up later and you can identify what the Bible's talking about when it talks about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Look up later, if you would, Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 3. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 3, the Bible talks about how that we are to worship, or excuse me, that, that God desires our, our, our worship. His desire of us is that it be in the spirit. In the spirit. He's saying it right here in John chapter 4. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, let's identify the word spirit first as we're passing through this. The how-tos to worship. How are we to worship in our spirit? Well, first of all, let's identify our spirit. What's he talking about there? He's talking about that human spirit that we have. Where God's spirit dwells. See, if you're saved, your spirit and God's spirit dwell together. The Bible refers to it as our inner man our inner spiritual being. So our spirit is the home or the dwelling place of God's spirit. There's a connection there. So it's not about just saying that God lives anywhere within us. No, he lives in our spirit or our inner man. And our spirit is the home or the dwelling place of God's spirit as well. So if we are to worship God in spirit, let's identify this. Let's try to make an application here this morning. If we're to, if we're to worship God in spirit, with our, with our inner man, or we talked about where God's spirit dwells, where our, our human spirit is, because God has made us as a three-part being. We've got a body, a soul, and we've got a spirit. That inner man. If we're to worship God in our spirit, it's not about then just being in the right place. You say, well, I'm in church. 
So certainly if I'm in church, I'm worshiping with the right spirit. No. It's not about just saying I'm in the right place or maybe saying it's the right time. I've come to the worship service here and this is the time that we've set aside for the worship service. It's not about just saying I'm in the right place and I'm in the right time or maybe even saying I'm worshiping with the right methods of worship because I believe the Bible clearly lays that out for us and I believe if God continues to lead me this way, we're going to talk about that a little bit as well in messages to come, the right methods as far as our worship is concerned. So it's not about just saying I'm in the right place, I'm at, or at the right time, and, 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 and using the right methods of worship, but it's about being right on the inside. It's about having our spirit right. And that's what God is saying. Remember, it goes back to what we said last week when Isaiah identified, hey, there's some things that are wrong with me. Remember, he said, woe is me. If I'm going to worship God, i got to get some things right. And so it's not about coming here and saying, well, I'm here for the morning service. And we call this a worship service. I'm here at the right time. I'm in the right place. We're worshiping with the right methods. But that does not mean each and every spirit is right. God desires that we be right on the inside. It's really the word we humbly come to worship the Lord. And if we're humbly coming to worship the Lord, then that means we've humbly already dealt with things in our life that not, don't need to be there. And we've confessed them. God has cleansed them. We're committed to do whatever he'd have us to do. And we're ready to worship him. He wants us to worship him in the right spirit. It, it makes me, it, it reminds me of the Pharisee and the publican. Remember when each of them stood up to pray? And the Pharisee said, I'm not like this publican over here who comes to God in this manner. And with a very prideful spirit, he identified how good he was and how bad the publican was. But instead, the Bible says the publican began to, sm he smote his breast. And he said, oh, I'm coming to God in such a way where I'm unworthy. He comes in humility. And that's what God desires for us, to have a humble spirit. Can I say this? Without proper worship, without true worship, our spirit is going to be starving today. Just like if we're not reading the Bible like we should, our spirit is going to be starving and without proper worship, without true worship, our spirit is going to be starving. Can I say that's one of the reasons why we believe we ought to be faithful to church? Because this is one of the places where we worship God. And if we are not worshiping God regularly and in the right spirit, our spirit is going to be starving. So you say, okay, well, if we're identifying that we've got to worship in spirit, then how do I get my heart? How do I get my mind in an attitude that allows me to worship in spirit? How, how do I get to that place? Well, worship is an overflow of our love and our reverence that we have for God. So if I love and I reverence God the way that I should, then I start to consider really who He is and His goodness and some of His attributes. Man, we sang this morning, How Great Thou Art. Did you identify the attributes of God in that song? Man, we're showing God our love we're showing God our reverence to say, God, remember what we used the word a couple weeks ago? We used the word worship is from those two words, worth and then ship. The word worth has the idea of the quality of a person that leads to their importance. God is important today. He has great worth, doesn't he? And then we use the word ship to identify a rank or an office. So we are attributing worth to the one who is in a position of prominence. That's God. And so we're considering who he is and his greatness and what he has done for us. So it ought to be true that if we're worshiping God in spirit, that we get to a place where we concentrate. Maybe we could even use the word meditate 
on God and his attributes and his goodness. And can I say this? Let's even do it in specific ways. And here's some verses I wanted you to write down. Maybe you can look at these later. Psalm 104, verse 1 through 3. Look up those verses later. Psalm 104, verse 1 through 3. What is the psalmist doing there? He is identifying and meditating on the greatness and the glory of Almighty God. Psalm 104, 1 through 3. You ought to look them up later. He's meditating. He's concentrating. He's considering, God, you're a great God. And I want to bring glory to you. And then in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. If you write that down and you look it up later, Isaiah 43 and verse number 2, the, the writer, the prophet Isaiah is considering and meditating upon the fact that God's presence is with him in difficult times. He is everywhere at all times present as our God. What an attribute of God to meditate upon that he is always everywhere present in our lives as God's people. And then perhaps looking up John 3.16, I know you know it, but would you consider it again in your heart to consider and meditate a, a little bit upon the love of God and the gift of salvation that he's given to us. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 7, we, 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 we see these words, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. God is a God who cares for us, right? Let's meditate, let's concentrate, let's consider a God who cares for us. And then let's identify the last word and we're done this morning. He says we need to identify, or excuse me, we need to worship God in spirit. And then what's the last word? In truth. So we're worshiping God in spirit, meaning we're right in the inner man. We're worshiping God by considering how great he is and his attributes. But then we're also worshiping him in truth. Here's what he's trying to say. We ought to worship God based on truth. Now, if we're worshiping God based on truth, well, what is truth? Well, in John chapter 17 and verse number 17, the Bible tells us what truth is. John 17 verse 17 says this, Sanctify them through thy word, thy word is truth. Now, if I'm going to base my worship on truth, then what is truth? Well, truth is the word of God. So I'm worshiping God then because of my understanding of the Bible and what truth is, where truth comes from, the Bible, and I'm also basing my worship on wanting and desiring to practice what the Bible says as well. Not just understanding it, but wanting to practice it. A couple verses you can look up when you have a chance at home, perhaps later, Psalm 100 and verse number 4. How do we worship God based on truth? Well, he says that we're to give thanksgiving and praise to him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, look that up later. It says, for without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. What is it telling us we base our truth of God's word on as we worship God? We base it on the fact that we put our faith and trust in him. And then in James chapter 4 and verse number 10, you can look that up later as well. It says, humble thyself, thyself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift thee up. We worship God based on the truth of the fact that we need to have humility in our lives. And on and on and on we can go throughout the Bible. And we can base our worship on the truth that is found in the Word of God. Can I say this? That is what is acceptable to God. If you want to know how to worship God, this is what is acceptable to God. To worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, He tells us how to worship. And then the next step is on our end. We have to conform to His divine standard. He says, this is the standard of worship. 
You've got to worship in spirit and in truth. We've got to conform to that standard because he tells us how to do it. And can I say this? God deserves all of our worship. And the type of worship that he deserves and demands is going to be the same type of worship that's going on in heaven for all eternity. Listen, we better get used to worshiping God right now in spirit and in truth because it is going to be going on throughout all eternity. In the book of Revelation, we know that's the one book in our Bible where we really see the, the, the veil of heaven opened. And we get to see what's happening in heaven. Two verses in Revelation chapter 4 tell us what's happening in heaven. Let me read them real quick. Revelation chapter 4 verse 10 and 11. It says, The four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. He designed us to worship. He deserves us to worship. He's demanded us to worship. Remember, he's seeking after us to worship. He's given us that command that we are to worship him and this is the kind of worship that he desires from us in spirit and in truth the same way that we'll be worshiping God for all of eternity. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this subject of worship.